guys started that in your Bible study uh, time this morning, let me kind of uh, uh, help make sure we're all on the same page with where we're going this summer. This summer, we've kind of titled our theme, Do Life Together, and we want to give you opportunities for us as a church to do life together. Not just for us, though, but for your friends, your family members, and people in your community, for you to share life with them. Uh, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on one section of Scripture per week. Okay, we're going to do that in, in our Bible study time and our worship time. We're going to focus on one section, one theme, one purpose. And our goal through the summer is to help equip you, to give you the tools that you need to do life with your friends and your family, to take what you learn on Sunday morning and apply it in your life throughout the week, and to give you tools for when you meet with your, your group, we all have our groups, right? You all have those people that you enjoy going out to eat with and getting ice cream with, going to cookouts, hanging out with. We want to equip you as you gather with them throughout the week to give you the resources you need to connect the Bible study that we learn on Sunday morning to the life that you live during the week. So that's our goal. So during the month of June, we're going to have events on Sunday evenings. Uh, of course, tonight we're going to do BBS prep. Next Sunday evening, we're going to follow up with VBS, and we're going to ask you to come back, and we're going to write letters, cards to all the kids who came to VBS, and we're going to pray for them, and we might even go visit a few next Sunday night. We're going to do that the next two weeks. And then we'll have a couple of other events through the month of June, but the month of July is reserved for us to share life. And we're going to ask you to gather in core groups on Sunday evenings or throughout the week and connect our Bible study on Sunday morning to your life. And for the next few weeks, I'm going to walk you through and give you the resources you need to do that. It's so easy and so simple. And we want to give you those tools uh, that are <laughs> necessary for you to do that. So it's going to be a fun summer as we journey through the book of books of Timothy and Titus. That's uh, so why I encourage you to plug in and be a part of that throughout the summer. Now, I know we all go on vacations, right? Some of you are coming back. Some of you are getting ready to go. That's awesome. Don't ever feel guilty for missing church because you're taking time to spend with your family. Do that. Share your pictures with us on Facebook so we can enjoy that time with you. Some of us who are still stuck at work and can't go anywhere fun, we want to live through your pictures a little bit. But when you come back home, we want you to plug back in and reconnect with us. Don't let one Sunday lead to two, lead to three, lead to four. We want you to stay plugged into the body. Uh, together. So let's look at Timothy this morning. In your Bible study time, you looked at 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I'm going to connect with that as we go and try to prepare you for the week. Our summer series will take us on a journey discovering every angle of the Christian life, who we are in Christ, how we are to live in Christ, and the qualities and characteristics of effective leadership. As we study the Word of God together this summer, we're going to quickly realize that the Christian life is a life of blessing a life of blessing. And that blessing is best realized together because we are the church. Now, if you look at these books, and you probably discovered in your Bible study portion this morning, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are known as what? Pastoral epistles. Why? Why? Paul was writing to a pastor, right, and talking to him about how do you lead the church in that context? So here we see Paul writing to Timothy here in 1 Timothy, and he's talking about leading the church in that area. Now, some of you might hear that and think, okay, that's not for me. 
because it's talking about church leadership and church responsibility, I don't have to pay attention to that. I don't have to listen to that. Well, let's think again. And let's step back and look at the bigger picture here. Paul had stationed Timothy here in Ephesus to do the difficult work of combating false teaching. You learned that in your Bible study this morning. We had an issue with some false doctrine, false teaching that was going on, and Timothy was there in Ephesus to lead the church in the the way of right living. And we also see at the very beginning, we kind of figure out that Timothy's a little frustrated, don't we? You guys ever been there? No, we're not ever frustrated with our situation, are we? You want to get out of your situation? You get tired of the people you work with, you're dealing with, you just want to say, oh, forget them. You've never been there, right? No. So Timothy's frustrated, and Paul writes him a letter to encourage him. Timothy was also told to lead the church to be faithful in a number of different areas, including godly living. So these epistles are very important understanding if you're a part of the church, you have a role to play. Our situation today is not unlike that of Timothy and what he lived in. We don't deal with false teaching, do we? We don't deal with a sinful world, do we? And we've all established the fact that we're never frustrated with our situation. So let's look at the city that Timothy lived in. Let's look at Ephesus. Ephesus was a large, diverse, and complex city. The city was a vibrant commercial city like many large metropolitan cities today. Now, Ephesus ranked only behind Rome and Athens in the entire empire. But Ephesus had an issue. Anyone know the name of that issue? We've got idolatry going on in Ephesus. Some would say Artemis. Some would say Diana was a major player in the city for both religious and commercial reasons. Now, worship of this nature and fertility deity proved to be lucrative for the city. It was a major player within this city. And that's what Timothy was here trying to deal with. He's trying to deal with this. We don't, we, don't, we don't have an issue with idolatry in our world, do we? No, we don't. So maybe we should just skip 1 Timothy. Very important. Connects very closely to our lives. So let's read 1 Timothy together. And today, the, the title of the message, if you're following along on your Worship God. You can even jump on version and search events. We're on there too. We are the church, but together we are called. Not just Timothy, not just pastors, but every single one of us. Followers of Jesus, we are called to do a few things. And as we read 1 Timothy, I want to draw three things out today that each of us are called to do as we live the Christian life together. So let's read 1 Timothy chapter 1 together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Verse 3, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. Apparently he wanted to go somewhere else. So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God, That is by faith. Verse 5, the aim of our charge is love. That issued from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying 
or the things about which they make confident assertions. We don't have people in the world today that do that, right? They like to talk but don't know what they're talking about. You don't know anybody like that, do you? I don't either. Verse 8, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. We don't know any of those people, do we? In accordance to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. Verse 12, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Paul's talking here. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me for the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now this next verse, if you like to write it in your Bible, it's a verse you want to underline, okay? Verse 15, this is our memory verse for the week. Yes, I did say that. It's our memory verse for the week. Verse 15, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life, to the kings of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 18, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Father, as we look at this unique, incredible work, from Paul to Timothy. I pray that you would speak to us, draw from your word, and impress upon our hearts the things that we so desperately need to know. Father, give us clear eyes so we can understand what we do not, and equip us with the knowledge that we so desperately need. Empower us to serve our community well. In your son's name we pray. Amen. We see here in chapter 1 that Paul was reminding Timothy of God's call on his life. Timothy was called to do great things. Timothy was called to impact his community and the world around him for Christ. Just like Timothy, we are called by God. What are we called to do? What was Timothy called to do? What was Paul instructing Timothy to do here in this passage? Three things. We are called, number one, look at verse eight. We are called to rightly handle the word of God. We are called to rightly handle the Word of God. Verse 8 says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. The law opens our eyes to the fact that we are guilty before God. Now, if we look at the Old Testament law, we can quickly become frustrated, right, with all the rules. How many rules are in the Old Testament? Anyone know? 
617 laws. Now, have y'all kept all 617 this week? We struggle and we are frustrating because we don't get it. We live in a society with so, how many, y'all know how many laws are in the state of Arkansas? I don't either. I bet we've broken some this week, huh? Driving to church this morning, there's a police car in front of us. Ranger said, don't pass the police car. You ever done that? Played that game on the highway? Anyone knowingly broke any laws this week? We'll be crossing the street, and my daughter reminded me, don't jaywalk. Somebody might get you. We'd struggle with that, right? We struggle with dealing with laws, and the, the fact that laws reveal our sinful nature, our sinful heart, the fact that we are wayward. And a lot of us try to forget the law or try to push it aside. We see pastors that talk about uh, the fact that the Old Testament is irrelevant and not needed anymore. And they couldn't be further from the truth. There's something incredible when we put the whole of Scripture together. And we see the fact that the law, the Old Testament law, opens our eyes to the fact that we are guilty before God. You see, the law doesn't save us. We've learned that through Scripture, right? The Old Testament was given. The law was given to the people. And could they keep the law? No. No. They learned very quickly that the law could not save them. They could not be redeemed from their sin based on the law. It doesn't matter how many sacrifices they gave. How many times they asked for forgiveness and repented of their sin. The law did not provide salvation. The law doesn't save us. Here's what the law does. The law leads us to Jesus. And Jesus saves us. You see, the whole of Scripture is a redemption story that draws us to Jesus Christ. When we read the Old Testament, we see clearly the fact that we are sinful and so desperately in need of a Savior. And instead of becoming frustrated with that law and trying to keep rules and regulations and do this or that to earn our salvation, the law shows us that we need someone who is perfect and holy that can provide a way of salvation. The law points directly to Jesus. When we understand that the law is set in its proper context, we see its true nature. We see the true nature of the law in Scripture, that it's not a crushing hammer of oppression. You ever feel oppressed by something? You feel like, Rules are unfair and not right, and we're just kind of stuck in a system. Y'all ever been there? We feel that in our society, don't we? Sometimes we wonder and we get frustrated with the rules that our governing bodies have set in place. Google this. Google weird rules and laws. There's all kinds of crazy stuff about walking dogs and having donkeys and cows. and It's just it's wild, the laws that we make up. But if we look at the perfect law found in Scripture, we see clearly that the law in its proper context is not a law of oppression. It's not a crushing hammer on our lives, pushing us down or away from God. But instead, it's a divine guide. It is a guide that leads us from our sinfulness directly to a Savior. It is a guide that provides hope and life for us. If we rightly divide the word of truth, we gain a few benefits of that. And this is a commitment that we should make together as we study Scripture this summer. Two benefits as of rightly using the law of God. Number one, if we rightly divide the word of truth, 
This is what it does. It produces responsibility among those who teach. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. We see that issue, the struggle with false teachers, don't we? We see those people who are so focused on that fertility God and the, the benefits found within that cult. Financial, commercial, relational. When we connect with our society, we can find so many benefits in the world around us. But when we focus on Scripture and we rightly divide the word of truth, it produces a responsibility for those who teach. All of you Sunday school teachers, all you Bible study leaders, when you study the Scripture and prepare to teach it, there's a responsibility that you hold to rightly divide that word, and it will bless you if you are diligent in your study and your preparation. Not only that, not only does it produce a responsibility for the teachers, we were talking about this last night with a group of people, how important it is for us to measure everything up with Scripture. It doesn't matter who's teaching. And I I always encourage you to do that. Everything that's said from this platform or in any Bible study class, whether in this building or in our community that we host, measure everything with Scripture. Don't be afraid to question anything that is said because we want to stay close to the Word of God in everything that we do. Not only does it produce a responsibility, but number two, it produces a love among those who hear. If you hear the Word of God and you hear the truth found in Scripture, there's a love that grows and dwells within your heart. Not just a love for those who are teaching, not just a love for Jesus, but a love for our community. It builds from that study of Scripture. You learn to love your neighbor and your brother and your friend. You learn to reach out and help those who are in desperate need. You learn to help the hopeless as you study Scripture. It produces love. It produces responsibility and love as we study the Word of God together, as we rightly divide this Word and understand the context that God has given the Word of God to us. It, increases, it, it produces a great great opportunity for us to impact our world. And that's what Paul was telling Timothy here. Paul was saying, Timothy, I've given you what you need. Everything that you need is right here. Study it diligently and share it faithfully, and blessings will come. Blessings will come, even in the midst of your frustration. So number one, we are called to rightly divide the word of truth. Number two, we are called to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15. This saying is trustworthy, And deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul ends by saying this, of whom I am the foremost. Now, this is our Bible verse, okay? So I want everybody to memorize it this week. And maybe we need to do some VBS-style giveaways. Y'all need like a little funny hat or a pencil or a sticker if you memorize your Bible verse. Maybe we'll have those next Sunday so you can get your sticker when you say your Bible verse to your your Bible study teacher or something like that. But it's important for us to memorize Scripture together. And we're going to hold you to it every week. Maybe we'll have someone say it in church next week. But this Scripture is very key, very key to our daily lives. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. In In a situation to where Timothy was dealing with so much false teaching, So many people were lying about the truth. Paul is saying, this is what's trustworthy. This is what's true. This is what you can accept in your life. Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's what you need to know. 
That's what you need to know, Timothy. That's what you need to know, Cheryl. That's what you need to know, Gene. That Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Now, I'm sure we can all plug our name in there, can't we? We know what Paul did. We know the life he lived before experiencing salvation in Jesus. But we all look at our lives and we think, oh, I know what I've done too. Y'all are there? You think, oh, I've been there. You don't want to know the things that I've done in my past or the things that I'm doing right now. You know what? It doesn't matter. Jesus came to save you. Jesus came to save you. We must believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus come? Jesus Christ came to live the life we could not live. We learn in the Old Testament scripture with the Old Testament law that there is a way to live, a right way to live. And we couldn't do it, could we? We failed so miserably. We do it every day, right? How many of y'all wake up each day and think, you know what, I'm going to do things right today. And then how long does it take for you to realize I messed it up? Can I go back in bed? Or We learned this phrase early growing up. Somebody got up on the wrong side of the bed. You been there? A lot of us get up on the wrong side of the bed. It'd be, it'd be simple, right, if we could just flip it over and get up on the other side? That'd be easy. Jesus Christ came to live the life we could not live. Not only that, but he came. Yeah, he came to live the life that we could not live and he came to die the death that we deserve to die. Because we sin, we all deserve to die. We all deserve to die. But Jesus Christ came and he lived the perfect life and he died for our sin, that sin that we deserve to die for. Not only that, but he rose in victory over the enemies that we could not conquer. That sin and death that puts us in the grave, Jesus came to conquer them. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Incredible gift he's given us. Jesus Christ came to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death we deserve to die, and gain victory over the enemies that oppress us. So we see in the gospel message that the gospel is incarnational. What does that mean? That means Jesus Christ came in the flesh. We see that in the book of John. We see that in the Christmas story that we read so faithfully every year. We see the fact that Jesus Christ came in the flesh to save you. That's what the gospel is all about. The King of kings and Lord of lords came from his place in heaven, in the flesh, into this world to save you. It's undeniable. It is undeniable This word, this truth found in Scripture can be trusted. It can be accepted as fact in our lives. We can trust it. It is a trustworthy saying that Christ came to save sinners. Not only that, but it's also universal. This gospel is universal. He came to save the whole world, right? We know that in John 3.16. It says what? For God so loved the world that He sent His Son. Jesus Christ came to save the world. To save everyone. It's incredible the scope, the impact of Christ's death. 
But before you think you don't matter, the gospel is also personal. That gospel message is so personal because he came to save you. He came to save you. He came to take the sin that you've committed and wash it away and give you life. We are called to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ is based on a grace that is unconditional and filled with purpose. It is by God's grace that you have the opportunity to experience salvation in your life. As a result of the new life that we find in Jesus, we are then unleashed into the world with a divine purpose. Because of your belief and trust in Jesus as the Savior of the world, we are given a purpose, and that purpose is number three. We are called to fight the good fight. To fight the good fight. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, You may wage the good warfare. At a time when Timothy was discouraged and frustrated, Paul was reminding him, stay focused, divide the word of truth, trust in Jesus, and fight the good fight. Fight for the gospel. Engage in battle for the truth. We see in Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to study this book in the fall, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Did you know that you're not fighting against each other? How many of you have fought with somebody else in your life? Let's all raise our hand, right? Have you all ever gotten in a fight with somebody? For the most part, now we all mess up, we all make mistakes. But you know what Satan does? He uses us against each other. You know that? And for the most part, the battle that we're raging in our lives is not against each other. It's against Satan. It's against evil. So we need to look up from each other. We need to forgive each other and focus on the real enemy. Because we are not each other's enemies. We are friends. We are loved ones. The battle is different for each person. We all wage a different battle in our lives, and your battle will look different than my battle. But we must all understand the fact that no one, absolutely no one in this room or in this world is immune to the temptations of the world. The struggles that the world provides that we face every day, no one is immune to it, so we have to get up every day ready for a fight. How many of you got up this morning ready to fight? Some of us us are trying to wake up still. Need another cup of coffee. We got to be ready for a fight every day. We got to fight for two things. We got to fight for the gospel in our life. Did you know that your life, as a believer in Jesus Christ, your life should point people to Jesus? The things you say, the way you act, should point people directly to Jesus. And Satan's goal every day is to keep you from doing that. So he's going to try to discourage you or get you off track to where your lifestyle does not point people to Jesus, but points people to the ways of the world. So we got to get up ready to fight every day. Prepare yourself every day for that battle because your goal today in your personal life is not to, hey, what can I do to make me happy? It's what can I do to direct people to Jesus Christ? That's our goal every single day. We must fight that for the gospel in our lives. Point people toward Jesus. Fight for the truth in our lives. Not only that, but we must fight for the gospel in our church. 
Church, together we are the church and we have a responsibility as the church to do what? Everything that we say, everything that we do in this building, everything that we do in the name of Jesus as the body of believers, we must point people to Jesus. We don't want to ever be known for that's the church that does this. That's the church that does that. That's the church that has this. That's the church that has the blue chairs. We don't want to be known for any of that. We want to be known as a church that points people to Jesus. We want people to see us in the community and say, you know what? It's all about Jesus. When they see that name Bearing Cross or hear about Bearing Cross, we want to point people to Jesus Christ. So we must fight for that every day. It's a battle that we have to wage. We have to push back Satan. And Satan, the quickest way he wants to divide us is what? Fight against each other. So we've got to guard ourselves against that. We've got to unite as a body. And we're going to do that this summer. We're going to continue to study these books, learning how can we be the church, a healthy, growing, vibrant church that points people to Jesus Christ. The gospel is the glue that holds us together as a body, as a believer. The gospel is the tie that binds. The gospel is the light of life during dark days. The gospel is the sunrise as a new day dawns. The gospel is the helping hand when we are desperately alone. The gospel is the hope for the hopeless. The gospel is seen in sandbags and shovels as we shovel mud. The gospel is seen as we pray for those who are hurting and helpless. The gospel is a craft done with children during VBS. The gospel is a cold bottle of water for that person who's so desperately thirsty. The gospel is a helping hand. The gospel is the hope for the hopeless. The gospel is the way, the truth, and the life for us all. So guys, it's time for you to get off the bench and get into the game. It's time for you to identify yourself as a member of the body of Christ, to unite as the church, and to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. Will you believe in the gospel and commit to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ? That's your first step. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, must be the day of salvation for you. You must understand the fact that you are desperately without hope. Sitting in your sin, that law reveals that. The law reveals the fact that we so desperately need a Savior. But the hope that you have is that Jesus died for you. Jesus has given you a chance to live a new life. And that new life in Christ can be an incredible life as we journey together, together as a body of believers. So, will you believe in Jesus as your Savior and commit to a growing relationship? That's what we gather for every week. If you're a visitor with us this morning, our goal week in and week out is for us to gather together, to share life, and to grow. To grow and become a mature believer so we can give back and we can serve our community. That's what we're here for. That's what we exist to do. So, will you join the team we call Bearing Cross as we make much of Jesus and we study the, the Word together? as we display the gospel to the world around us? Will you engage in the good fight together with us? We're going to fight. We're going to fight well, and we're going to be faithful to the word of God that he's given us. My question is, are you on board? Are you ready to go? Because it's time to move. Why? Because we are the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I say this every week, and we keep opening and, and 
discovering more truths found within. And it's just incredible as we study the Word of God how, how powerful this Word is. And I pray that, Father, that you would move in our midst as we grow closer to you as we study the Word together. Father, if there's anyone in here this morning that needs to make a decision, I know you're touching their heart this morning. I know the fact that the lights went out and it was hot when we came in, that there's a reason that we're here and you've got something to say. So I pray that you would you would just impress upon whoever it is that needs to respond this morning to respond, to make a decision for you, whether that's trust and faith in you as their Savior, whether it's membership in our church, or maybe that someone needs to get connected into a group or get involved. It's time for you to give back. We encourage you to make that decision today. But Father, I pray that you would move this morning and prepare us for the week that's ahead. That when we leave this building and we go to lunch or we go hang out with friends or we go home and take a nap, that you would prepare us for what's ahead. And we would be ready to serve you and fight that good fight. In your son's name we pray.